Hello, welcome to July's edition of All Things Business, the podcast. In conversation with business people from across the Bedfordshire, Milton Keynes and Northamptonshire region. Summertime, whether it feels like it or not. The stop-start style of the economy continues. For some, Brexit is perhaps now starting to bite. For the motor industry, as for others, a lack of components is making the process of manufacture very difficult. Just ask anyone in Jaguar Land Rover where production of the new Defender has had to be halted because of a lack of microchips. I'm John Griff, and in this month's edition of the podcast, we follow on from June's conversation about staff recruitment and retention with Chris Wright from ACS Recruitment. Serena Bauer agrees that in human resources matters, it's not just the money which gets the right people into the right roles. Some people are willing to take a lower pay if the broader engagement and proposition of uh, people is stronger. If that is well executed and the engagement and the relationship is strong and everything around that culture and belonging, it's a positive experience within that company, that will be the most competitive advantage for a company. Miriam Draftman from BCM Agency delivers a masterclass in marketing and starts with the basics. To do marketing well, you remove subjectivity. So it's not because you've always done something or because you like something or you know you want to do something in a certain way because it suits you. You have to listen to your customer. And the best way of doing that is market research. And after a professional career in public relations, star of The Apprentice and Countdown Nick Hewer tells me about entrepreneurship away from the camera and where the business superstars of the future may already be developing. Entrepreneurship. It's almost in the gut and there will be in this school today some future business leaders because they can't help themselves. Alan Sugar was taking pictures of parents and their new babies when he was about 14. Couldn't help himself. Real business insight from real business people. All in July's edition of All Things Business, the podcast. Last month on the podcast, Chris Wright from ACS Recruitment threw down a challenge to employers about attracting and retaining staff on the road out of recession, stating the importance of the totality of the package on offer, not just the pay rate. People go to to work a lot of the time for money, but at the same time, the environment, how they're treated, is their viewpoint considered, Mm. the facilities they're provided, it will all play a big part. It's something which really chimed with my first guest this month. Serena Bauer runs Bauer HR Consultancy Limited. After a career in head office roles within one of the high street banks, Serena established her own business, combining troubleshooting with consultancy in the HR sector. Sitting in the magnificent surroundings of the former Vauxhall Cars headquarters in Luton, which now houses the Bedfordshire Chamber, I asked Serena if, as an HR expert, she thinks that we're about to see leaner, possibly meaner business behaviour when it comes to human resources on the climb out of recession. Again, it depends where the business is, where they've pivoted, you know, what kind of skill set. And I think there is, you know, a lot of companies are missing that trick to refocus on what skills they have. Um, And if there is a kind of step change in what is required there's a gap Mm. you know let's identify that gap and then look about how we're going to fill it um you know are we going to grow from within you know from um underneath you know build that from a young from the young workforce um how is it we're going to fill those gaps um but actually what companies are missing are doing that skills gap analysis to kind of say where are my gaps where is it i'm going to put my people Mm. you know where is the work going to be done where does i need those skills and how am i going to get from here to there. 
last month in the podcast, we talked to a recruitment agency mm-hmm. and they were saying that there's no shortage of jobs at all. But they also issued a warning to employers to say it's not about the hourly rate that you're paying people. That's not going to attract people in. You've got to do a lot more. You've Mm -hmm. got to engage with the employees you've got and you've got to offer a better package Mm -hmm. for those that you want to get in through the door Mm -hmm. to your business. Mm -hmm. Would you go along with that? Absolutely. And I'd go a step further to say that that companies have got to rethink uh, about where where they are in terms of their engagement with their people. Many companies have lost that trust and that relationship through the pandemic. Um, and now we're coming out to the other side. Uh, you know, there is a need to refocus on that. I talked to many companies around their broader proposition. And actually, I asked them questions around their pay. Right. So their total reward, the whole package. Mm. And actually, some people are willing to take a lower pay if the broader engagement and proposition um, of uh, people um, and that trusting relationship is stronger now if that is if that is well executed and the engagement and the relationship is strong and everything around that culture and belonging it's a positive experience within that company that will be the most competitive advantage for a company. Where do you sit then on a topic like hybrid working arrangements? Mm-hmm. It doesn't mean that everybody is going to be either eligible for hybrid working, and yet there is this discussion, this debate going on as to whether or not employees are going to have not only the opportunity for hybrid working, but the right to mm-hmm. hybrid working. Mm-hmm. Do you mm-hmm. see that coming on as well? Do you see that mm-hmm. as being good for business? Uh, I I think it is all about the autonomy. I think companies need to think about that more humanistic approach to their engagement with their individuals. And actually, if if it's right for the business and it's right for the individual to... um, to be that more flexible, then that's a great thing to do. You know, I think the pendulum has completely swung from one side of uh, to, the, to the other around flexible working. Well, it's not really flexible working. It's actually that hybrid model. Um, and it's going to find its new norm. It's not back to the, the norm as it was. It's mm. going to find a new norm. Um, and that is based on um, discussion, engagement about wh- how that that particular role, where it fits in the business and, and, and it's right to be, you know, hybrid some couple of days at home and, and some in the office. Not all roles can be like that. Mm. You know, if you're on the front line of a manufacturing plant, you can't do, do that role from home. But there's other options around flexibility. It always used to be said that the vast majority of corporate problems in the workplace were the result of either miscommunication, misunderstood communication, Mm -hmm. communication at some level. How far do you see that internal communication issue as being still the Achilles heel for business? How important is it Mm -hmm. to get that internal communication right for businesses not only to bounce back and therefore bounce the UK economy back, but also to secure their future with employees who will stay with them beyond the next five minutes, the next six months, the next year? You know, it, it is such, a, you're right, it has been Achilles heel for, for many for many companies to try and get that right. But I, I, I think around communication is to think about the methods, the approach, the regularity, what is it you're trying to be, what are you, what are you trying to communicate, you know, about the 
being transparent and clear and the regularity. But the pivotal people which are in there are that leadership, mm. you know, right from the top of the board all the way through that your leadership style and the leadership approach. Um, they're critical to giving the same message. Um, and as soon as that starts to dilute, uh, that, then you, you, the company struggles in can, that clear transparent communication and I think the bigger the organization becomes the more difficult difficult it is. So if we were to sit down in 12 months time how far do you think the culture of employment the relationship between an employer and an employee a person how far do you think that relationship is going to have changed partly because of the pandemic but Mm -hmm. partly because Mm -hmm. business owners are going to want to engage with their employees more because they need them to stay put and carry on Mm -hmm. the business Mm -hmm. of the business absolutely and and what will start to emerge i think and it is emerging now is that war for talent um on the back of Brexit that will start to bite and so therefore the skill set is going to be scarce it's going to be an opposite question it's like what you know you'll come work for me and we'll we'll pay you this it actually the discussion is it will be a different one and so therefore the competitive advantage of a, a of a company will be around its proposition it'll be about its employer proposition and it will be about if I come to your organization what are you about what about your values what about the the broader proposition uh, one of the questions which um, uh, you know potential employers will ask is is how sustainable you are as a company all these things will factor and so therefore with a, with companies um, now and as we progress we'll have to rethink their employee proposition because it will have to be different um, and it will have to be quite unique to get the best talent to your organization that is a cultural change it is and, it, and it's a journey it's not going to happen overnight it's going to be a journey as we progress uh, between you know from now and and beyond 18 months it is a journey of re-engagement and I think it's a journey of rebuilding trust and it's a journey of thinking differently it's a more broader holistic view about the employee proposition and it covers different aspects from well-being and you know the spatial working in it with in mental health and the experiences which you give um, as an employer uh, in that space all the way through to the work environment and the content of um, the the work through to the career development through to that feeling of belonging Mm. those factors are going to play such a massive part uh, in the changing proposition of, of of the employee and with the businesses no with the people that you work with right now, Mm -hmm. looking towards the future, looking to that bounce of the economy that some are saying is in the process of happening or Mm -hmm. certainly gathering speed. How encouraged are you by what you see within businesses, within HR departments, within directorates of business moving forward? How encouraged are you by the dialogues that you now see going on and how much change are we still perhaps going to in, to encounter before we get to a point where we can say, number one, we've reached a new normality. Number two, the economy is now actually firing on all cylinders. I think companies are still, in many cases, still acting quite traditionally uh, with their approach. Um, they've got to kind of open their eyes a lot more to what's happening out there, to 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 keep up with the changing world. You know, they kind of revert back to their roots and actually they'll get left behind. 
uh, particularly when we're talking about you know attracting talent to the organisation. So I think that there needs to be tough discussions, you know, and CEOs need to visualise where they're going to be and the changes which they'll need to do. The business owners, um, you know, that change which will need to occur to allow them to maintain that competitive advantage. Don't do what you do because you always have. Look around mm-hmm. and be prepared to change. And a bit, be prepared to change, but don't chuck it over the fence to HR to run. <laughs> you know, it, it's no, it, it, it is it is about a collaborative approach. It's about some of the people aspects which HR professionals like myself can absolutely bring the strengths to the activity. We're not all about telling you what you can and can't do and compliance and and the law. We're not all about that. We're about building the momentum around the engagement proposition and that's where we can absolutely add some incredible value but work together to build that broader proposition and use us in the right way. That's Serena Bauer. You can find out more about her and her brand of consultancy at bauerhr.co.uk. If getting the right people into the right places and keeping them there is important, so too is marketing. More than telling the world about your business and why others should do business with you, marketing runs through every thread of a company's being and its activity. But when cash flow is tight, how do you get the best possible return on your marketing investment? It's a challenge for every business in the economy right now. Miriam Drachman from Bedfordshire-based BCM Agency has a CV incorporating international positions, and she's multilingual too. We met at Rest Park, itself a near neighbour of Woburn Abbey, and when we did, Miriam explained the specialisms of her agency and how her own internationalism is having an effect here in the UK. So we work predominantly in the construction, engineering and manufacturing sector, So complex industries where we'll aim to simplify the complicated. Um, You're right, we're Bedfordshire based. We work with a lot of companies regionally. We also work internationally with companies in Europe um, that are headquartered in Europe, but looking to grow in the UK oftentimes. And the types of companies we work with, to be honest, they can be companies of any size because, as you rightly say, larger companies will have marketing departments, but they won't necessarily have every specialism or expertise in-house so an agency or outsourcing to an agency even if you actually have people that can do the job internally sometimes that's not the best use of their time so outsourcing areas of marketing can be beneficial in terms of cost in terms of timelines and in terms of actual expertise and getting the job done right how much of your role is an educative one highly educative it'll all start with a conversation There will always be a need there by the business owner or the marketing director, whether that's because they're facing a cliff at that stage, because things have been left too long and they realise that there's a major problem and we get rolled in, or actually if they are very forward thinking and looking to the future in a longer term strategy. And the key role we play there really is as counsel. So we will listen to where the company is at, what challenges it's experiencing, what it wants from the work that it's doing, you know, what are the objectives and goals of the company. And our key role, or what I actually see the key role of marketing being, is that it is highly productive and it is aligned to the fiscal goals of the organisation. So it's not about doing an exhibition because X, Y and Z competitor is there necessarily or doing things the way you've always done them because you simply have. It is about aligning your financial goals, working out whether that's client acquisition, you know, is that 
client retention and upselling to existing? Is that diversification? You know, what does that look like? Mm. And how do you quantify that? So we actually at BCM work to a very simple one-page strategic plan, which looks at the strategic goals of the organization. It breaks it down into what marketing actually needs to do to return, gain a return on investment um, and to align to those fiscal goals. But it's an onboarding tool as well. So rather than just the marketing director or the business owner understanding where the company's looking to go over the next 12, 24, 36 months, it's actually an onboarding tool. So the whole team understands where we're going, how we're going to get there and what's going to be needed to do that. We actually then roll up our sleeves and get on with the doing and the tactical. You're also talking about an investment as well, because in in times of recession, and let's face it, we're in a very difficult time right now. It happened in 2008. It's happening again now on the back of the pandemic. People are drawing their horns in right now they need to perhaps extend those horns once again so if things like training if things like marketing and promotion are the first things that are cut from the bottom line is that the wrong policy cash flow is king in these times and so we completely understand why companies have to either maintain a marketing budget or indeed reduce it what i would say is that share of voice equals share of market and we have seen after be it the world war after the financial crisis now in the pandemic we will see that those that have a greater share of voice will gain market share as we come out of the recession is business turning up for you or is it quiet right now no it's very much improved actually in fact i would argue that throughout this pandemic period we have seen a large increase in clients that actually want to do b2b marketing properly so it's not been necessarily a knee-jerk reaction which we'd expect to see Mm. but rather people realizing that this is a real moment of change for us and that in order to succeed things would have to be done differently and it's given people a bit of breathing space to sit back and think strategically not tactically but strategically how do we want to move forward where do we want to go you know it's not always about the positive promotional message it's when times are tough that is when your clients need to know you are there that is actually the cognitive piece so the cognitive piece is knowing the emotional triggers what makes customers by what they're thinking, you know, how are they engaging with you, and then trying to find a solution to that. People run businesses, they know their business, they don't necessarily know about marketing. If someone comes to you to say, I know I need to do something, but I don't know what, just how basic a conversation do you start with? As basic as it's needed. I mean, marketing isn't complicated in the true sense, but actually it's highly complex because it has to fit in with existing business models and structures. It is, in theory, matching A to B and ensuring you gain a profit if if you are a profit-making organisation. But it becomes complex because you have people, you have processes, you, you know, you have a business that that has to fit within. But we have very basic conversations through to highly strategic and complex conversations with marketing directors that have been in role for many years. But one thing I'll come back to that you just mentioned, that business owners know their business. They do. They don't always know their market. So what we find is that a lot of businesses rely on tacit knowledge of the marketplace. Well, we've worked in here for decades. You know, we know why client X buys from us. And I always ask the question, do you really? When did you last ask? Because market research is actually the one bit that is often 
sadly undervalued by businesses. They want to get out there. They want to start shouting about their brand and their message. And you can't get that right without market research. So is that an aspect of why do you do something this way? Answer, because we always have. Is that going to have to be a change in the way that business operates if it wants to be successful post the end of this year, for instance? Definitely. To do marketing well, you remove subjectivity. So it's not because you've always done something or because you like something or, you know, you want to do something in a certain way because it suits you. You have to listen to your customer. That's what the cognitive marketing piece is all about, tapping into that. And the best way of doing that is market research. If somebody wants to make contact with you, if they want to engage a marketing agency, they might never have done it before. You know, you could be an alien organization as far as they're concerned. What basic information do you need from them to start a meaningful conversation and a relationship and an investment for the future? So as I say, we'd start off with a very simple conversation about challenges, pain points, what's going well, what's not, understanding the business. We actually then go away and we do our homework. Now, you don't, as a client, pay for that. That is just to ensure that we don't have a steep learning curve. At that point, we have certain questions we'd ask of a client in terms of turnover, uh, the makeup of the client set, you know, what sectors they operate in, what the offering is, if they understand and know what their value proposition is. And we'd basically workshop to get a full understanding. We go away, we do a competitor audit, we do customer profiling, customer journey mapping to get a true sense of the, the customer piece, it's actually the first pillar of our process. So we have a 5C process, which starts with customer, which is all about the research. We then go into clarity. That's putting that research into context because research on its own is meaningless. It's insight, it's not intelligence. So we move along to clarity to understand in the wider context what that means. We then have creative spark. So that's not just what an advert looks like or the visual depiction of your brand. It's the storytelling. It's the whole depiction of your value proposition and your segmented positioning statements. Then we move through to communication and we'll put together a communication strategy. What you're saying, who you're saying it to, what channels you use to do that and the timings for it. And then lastly, we have control and that's all about measurement which again is the key piece because if you can't measure it you don't know if it's really working for you or not. I think I've just had a master class in marketing in the last few minutes which makes the dark art a little bit less dark. Miriam lovely to talk to you thank you. Thank you very much for your time. That's Miriam Drachman shedding light on the importance of the right kind of marketing for perhaps your business. You can find Miriam and her team at bcmagency.co.uk. Does your business need to be seen, be heard or be found? Now, more than ever, companies need to make it clear that they are open for business. All Things Management is a team of creatives who connect their clients to their audience. To find out more, visit allthingsmanagement.co.uk. Be seen, be heard, be found. Imagine being asked to look after the public relations requirements of one of the most mercurial entrepreneurs in British business and then being dragged out of retirement by them to become one of their most trusted captains in a hugely successful business reality TV series. Both happened to my final guest in this month's All Things Business podcast. Nick Hewer built a hugely successful public relations business and found a long-term client in Sir Alan Sugar, then just the aggressively ambitious Alan Sugar without the knighthood. 
Northamptonshire-based Nick has just retired a second time, but was reprising a very familiar role recently, spending the day with students at Wellingborough School. Over lunchtime and in the kind of echoey space that maybe you recall from your school days, Nick explained how he was bringing his experience and advice to the raw talent of the young students competing to become the best in business in their year. Well, Wellingborough School, fine school, asked me to come back and sort of judge an apprentice-style competition among some of the pupils. It's, it's a while ago that I was on The Apprentice, but it's an enduring uh, love of mine, really, to see young people working together to produce something of value and make a profit on it. So here I am, there are five teams, and this morning, this morning, only a few hours ago, which is the extraordinary thing, they were told that they were going to have to come up with an original board game aimed at a market comprising 8 to 12-year-olds. Right? You would be amazed at what they've achieved in that short time, mainly because, I suppose, within the team they delegated. There's a boss, the MD, and he delegated for the design and the name and the layout and the presentation and the script and all the rest of it. I'm staggered at what they've done, actually, and I'm delighted to be here and I hope at the judging I'll make some sense. So in that case is your role to be an interrogator, an ally? Are you to be some kind of a dragon or are you in fact Alan Sugar incarnate? <laughs> I'll never be Alan Sugar incarnate, God forbid. But no, I think I'm here to um, admire when, when it's appropriate, not to be unkind because they've had almost no time to do it, and what they've achieved in the time that they have had has been really quite remarkable. And also to assess how they work together and, you know, how they delegate and the rest of it. I'm here just to sort of, you know, chuck in the odd uh, comment, really. Um, thinking about your apprentice uh, experiences, it sounds as though the spirit of entrepreneurship starts very much at places like this. How important in your opinion, is the grounding of a good education which tells you about the real world, tells you about money, to go out onto the business world and actually make your way? You are spot on. Do you know, it's not all about the uh, you know, Greek and Latin and all the rest of it. It's really knowing and understanding how the world works. And, you know, when little Johnny says to his dad, I really want a pair of uh, Nike trainers... Uh, for £150, and Dad's been laid off. That little Johnny has got to understand that the family has got to work for a budget too. So it's understanding that sort of thing that's so important. The Britain of large employers has sort of gone. All right, the NHS employs, I don't know, 150,000 people, whatever it is. Exceptional. British Steel, British Railways, they've all gone. Ford Motor Company, you know. And therefore, there's an absolute imperative for people to be able to exercise their entrepreneurship and ingenuity, maybe in starting their own company. A bit tough to ask an 18-year-old to go and start his own company. But um, it, we will become a country of small businesses and the service industries like the banks, which are big employers too, I guess. So um, I think it's vital, first of all, that young children understand the economics 
of the family, and secondly, to be tested. And I first got involved with schools and enterprise, with the Enterprise for Schools initiative, which I thought was fantastic. Mm. And what Wellingborough School is doing is, is a, an extension of that, and I, I think it's brilliant. You came to National Notes through The Apprentice, through the invitation of Alan Sugar, Sir yeah. Alan Sugar, but you knew him long before you got in front of the cameras. You knew him through collaboration because your public relations business yeah. worked extensively with his business. Was that the Amstrad days? It was. I remember I got a call back in 83, all those years ago. Gosh, nearly 40 years ago. And I was invited up to meet the Amstrad Brigade, who had floated just three years before, made Alan Sugar a multimillionaire by the age of 30. Um, and uh, I was taken on and worked for him and his companies, which included things like Tottenham Hotspur and all the other. He had a, a, a Danish uh, mobile phone manufacturer. He had this and that and all the other things. Um, right up to my retirement, really, in 2004, in which at which time he turned around and said, oh, by the way, you've been retired a whole month now. You're back on board because we're going to do something called The Apprentice. But... Working with him, with Alan Sugar, was such a joy because it was so exciting. We didn't know what he was about to, to buy, to sell, to invent. Extraordinary. It was a whirlwind. And, of course, he was hugely successful in the uh, consumer electronics business. You also didn't know what the apprentice contestants were going to come up with either. No. We're here perhaps looking at future entrepreneurs, future business managers, shapers of the economy for the yeah. future. You collaborated in business with Alan Sugar. Yeah. That then went forward into a new relationship. How important is that notion of collaboration going to be between small businesses who then have, well, frankly, some business clout out there? Let's talk about collaboration. I'm starting a business, let's say. I want a loan to go to the bank. That's tricky, but I think that the government can press the banks into being more loose-limbed about lending money to worthwhile business ideas and so forth. Anybody who starts a business basically will be addressing the home market initially. You can't wake up on a Thursday morning and say, I think I'll, uh, I think I'll start an airline business today because it's not possible, is it? But let's say a young chap of 25 who loves motorbikes, he can start a business by repairing other people's motorbikes. You know, it's that sort of thing. And that's where they grow out of. Yeah. And that's where Sugar started, selling car aerials out of the back of a van. What about collaboration between government, the treasury, uh, the, the tax and the lawmakers to help business up? That kind of understanding of how to run a business so that the business lasts longer than five minutes? Yes, Let's just look at the Treasury for the moment. And if there's one hero, in my book anyway, during the, um, the pandemic, from the very start, way back in March last year, it's the Treasury and it's Rishi Sunak. I think he paid a stormer. Yes, we're three tr trillion in debt, and that's going to be hard. We're going to be paying more tax. You bet we are. But he held the place together, I think. He really did. Um, and uh, full marks to him for that. Now, of course, everybody will hate him because it won't be long before he's raising taxes and we're making us squeak. Do you see him as a future prime minister? I do. I wish. Soon. Yes, I do. He's, uh, he's smart. He's eloquent. He seemed very thoughtful. And he was a banker. Now, don't let's all shout at bankers for a moment. <laughs> They're not stupid. And I think he was with Goldman Sachs. I would... 
I would rate him so highly because I think some of the others, excuse me for saying so, in our current government are not of the highest calibre. Can I put it like that? You can put it however you wish. In this particular podcast, we're looking at human resources, we're looking at marketing as well through the, the eyes of businesses in this part of the world. You built a powerful business on the back of public relations. That is often something that is cut alongside training budgets, advertising, marketing, particularly in a, in, in a recession when money is tight. Is that a false economy for people who are now trading in recession right now? Should they be investing in those areas? Yeah, it's, it's, the thing is, it's easy to cut. At a stroke of a pen, you can fire the PR company, you can uh, fire the ad agency and the rest of it. But getting the word out, promoting to your market is vital. It's absolutely vital. Social media, powerful stuff. Where do you think all the money from advertising is going these days? Yeah, it's Google and uh, the other, you know, uh, Facebook and the, the, you know, the other big social media outlets. So, no, it's, it's imperative that promotion is kept going because that directed at your market, you know, is what will drive your business. Yes, you have to cut costs. We understand all that. We understand that um, you know, times are hard. My view always, particularly with sort of owner-run uh, businesses, yeah, that the owner has a duty to his employees. And when times go hard, and I've been through hard times in the past recessions, you cut your own salary before you start laying people off, all right? Because that engenders in your workforce a feeling of loyalty that he's taking the hit, just like us, you know? You've just come to the end of one chapter of the Nick Hewer story with Countdown. Um, arguably, you've been watched by not only millions of people watching daytime television, but millions of students who may well become the future employers and entrepreneurs of the future. Yeah. Alan Sugar got in on your last episode. I believe he surprised everybody because he recorded something very personal to you, which got reported in the press uh, just That's a few right. days ago. He was in the States, actually. He was in Florida. And I guess the program makers, uh, countdown uh, program makers, rang him up and said, look, Nick's uh, retiring. Would you like to say a few words? Well, they couldn't shut him up. <laughs> He's a dear fellow and um, very loyal and very kind to me. He picked me up and dragged me, bullied me, beat me up to make me one of his advisors on The, uh, on the Apprentice. I didn't want to do it. I didn't think I'd be any good. I thought, Alice, oh, not for me. He said, no, you shut up and do as you're told. And of course, it, it gave me 16 years of fun, not only with The Apprentice, but with Countdown, but all the other stuff I've done. It's been fun. I've been very blessed. Thanks, Alan. I think the line was, Hewer, you're retired. You're sitting in front of me right now, Nick, in a business shirt, a tie, a business suit. You don't look even remotely like someone who's retired. What does the, what does the future hold for you? People are going to hope that you are going to carry on some kind of a mentorship role, perhaps? Is there going to be a book on the way? How to run business? How to run the economy, Rishi Sunak? What do you reckon? What's next for you? <laughs> I think running the economy, I'll leave to the experts. Listen, I might retire tomorrow evening because I was lured into um, a program called Tipping Point, and it's the, a celeb sort of thing for charity. And I thought, that sounds fun. And then this morning, they said, oh, by the way, you're up against Robert Peston. Just what I've been praying for. <laughs> so I think by tomorrow night, I said, I've had enough. 
you are about to go up in front of a series of future entrepreneurs. You've got to go and help them. You've got to go and judge them in a place that you know because you've been to Wellingborough School before. Yeah. This has got to be a fantastic crucible for business in the future going forward, surely. Absolutely. And in every great school like this, there are youngsters full of vim and vigour and imagination. But, you know, entrepreneurship is almost in the gut as well. And there will be, in this school, today, some future business leaders because they can't help themselves. They simply can't help themselves. Maybe they're doing something naughty in the playground, selling chewing gum or something they shouldn't be doing, making a profit, adding to their home. That's how people like Richard Branson started. That's how Alan Sugar was taking pictures of um, parents and their new babies when he was about 14. Couldn't help himself. Every day is a school day. Here we are at Wellingborough. Your future uh, entrepreneurs are going to learn from you today. We've learned from you today. All the very best for the future. A real joy. Thank you, Nick. No, thank you. That's Nick Hewer. Words of wisdom for future entrepreneurs from someone who knows more than a little about how to succeed in business. That's all from this month's edition of All Things Business, the podcast. Many thanks to my guests, Serena Bauer of Bauer HR Consultancy Limited, Mariam Drachman from BCM Agency, and star of The Apprentice, Countdown, and Public Relations, Nick Hewer. I hope you enjoyed what you heard. Don't forget that there are other editions of the podcast that you can listen to via the All Things Business website. Until then, from everyone on All Things Business, the podcast, thanks for listening.